This is the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number 17. Today's special guest, the director of Mahler Games. This episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by our community patrons. Everyone gets this episode for free, and it's all thanks to the generosity of said patrons. Becoming a patron is the best way to support the show directly, and you get some bonuses as well, like being able to vote on future episode topics and getting a special Discord role. If you're interested in becoming a patron, I will leave a link to that in the show notes, or you can go to patreon.com and search for Game Dev Field Guide. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of bonus episodes, Buff Debuff. Buff Debuff is a game we play where people from the community post one word or one phrase submissions, and I kind of don't do any research about them. I just say whether or not I think they are buffed or debuffed. It's sort of a quick fire, top of the head, hot take type segment, I guess. So yeah, it's really good for fitting in those smaller topics that maybe I can't do a whole episode about. And speaking of smaller topics that I can't do a whole episode about, let's get into our first topic. The first one is hidden endings. The poster for this gives the example of Far Cry 6, which has sort of a secret early ending. Um, I won't spoil it for you now, but you get the idea. Hidden endings. What do I think of them? I think that they are slightly buffed. I wouldn't say that hidden endings are like a really uh, super game-changing thing. And that's for the simple reason that a lot of players don't ever make it to the ending of a game. If you think about it, the majority of players don't make it to the ending of the game. Your game isn't a make or break based on the ending or the presence of hidden endings. Now, is it an extra feature that is nice to have that is cool that allows for, you know, cool Easter eggs and funny things like in Far Cry 6? Yeah. But at the end of the day, whether or not your game has hidden endings, you know, isn't a make or break thing for the game, in my opinion. Our next topic is accessibility settings that fundamentally change the experience of the game. The poster gave an example of a horror game that added a setting that makes it so the player can't lose and there's no jump scares. Or how in Ratchet and Clank there are accessibility options that help the player by auto-aiming. I think accessibility options on the whole are definitely buffed, but there are some ways I think it can go awry. And maybe it's a topic that's hard to talk about because what I don't want people to think is that um, I want to like exclude anyone from experiencing a game. That's not the goal of maybe not having accessibility settings. Rather, there's certain games that just accessibility stuff like this maybe doesn't fit that well. And that's just part of the DNA of the game. On the whole, of course, accessibility settings are buffed because it just allows more people to play games. But if you're fundamentally changing your game um, to meet accessibility wants, then, you know, that's kind of up to the game dev and game you're making it for. For instance, let's say Ratchet & Clank is a good example. Is it fundamentally that changing if in Ratchet & Clank you can auto-aim? What is the big, like, 
the best part of Ratchet and Clank. To me, it is experiencing like the charming story and kind of the usually heartwarming aesthetic and stuff like that. It's not about like a hyper competitive shooting game. And so for that, it makes a lot of sense. You want players to be able to have that heartwarming story and adventure accessible no matter how good they are at shooting or maybe they have a disability where they can't hold a controller with two hands, which would make shooting very difficult. Now let's look at something that's like a total counterexample on the other side of the coin. What if Counter-Strike had auto-aiming to uh, give that game some more accessibility? Well, that's kind of a different story, right? Because the big part of Counter-Strike is the player's ability to aim and shoot accurately. And to change that skill gap um, kind of fundamentally changes the game and, in my opinion, makes it worse. Now, you could do smart design and get around it. Maybe you have a matchmaking system that allows auto-aim uh, and keep the auto-aimers with the auto-aimers and keep the other people with the other people. But, yeah, I think you can see the dilemma with those extreme examples with fundamentally changing the experience of the game with accessibility. That being said, you know, if you can do it, then it seems like a win-win scenario for everyone. Next topic we have is cheat codes, and I think this poster meant specifically cheat codes built into the game. I have, like, a lot of personal nostalgia for cheat codes. Uh, I remember the, like, older games with maybe some kind of way to enter in a text code, and you could write in um, little cheat codes in there. That would turn on, like, God Mode or Unlimited Resources, stuff like that. I think for a game's design specifically, again, it's going to depend on the kind of game it is. But in most cases, it's a buff, right? This kind of gets into a really interesting discussion about who deserves the power fantasy in a game. And where does that power fantasy come from? There's some people on the argument of, well, the whole point of a game is to give the player a power fantasy. And cheat codes are like the way to get straight to the power fantasy. But other people see it as only the highest skill players should get the power fantasy because it's more gratifying when you earn it. And yeah, I can see the argument for both these, and I think it's a really interesting discussion to be had. Maybe something we should discuss over on the Game Dev Field Guide community Discord under the advanced discussion. I would like to hear what other people have to say about this, but cheat codes to me are like um, a way of giving the player that immediate power fantasy. Now, does the power fantasy feel cheaper if you don't earn it? You know, maybe. May I think that's probably true. But either way, I think cheat codes on the whole are buffed. And the last topic today is allowing mods in your game. Is it buffed or debuffed? To me, mods are always a buff. It's a win-win scenario for the players and the developer with just a, a few tiny caveats. So why is it a win-win situation? Well, the developers get basically free content for their game. And weirdly enough, the players also get free content for the game. Like, it's a scenario where the game uh, only gets better because the players have more options. And even if that new mod doesn't take the game in a direction that the original creator, like, wanted, I think more options is pretty much always better. Now, there are some caveats to this, like... If people are using mods of your game to spread hateful content or maybe even malicious or malware kinds of content, that would be bad. So I think 
if you do allow mods, you have to have some way of regulating it. But on the whole, like if someone's going to take all their time to make a mod, which is not easy, it's not just like, it's not any easier than normal game dev, in my opinion, to do it right anyways. If they're going to take all their time to make a mod, um, it's usually going to be someone who's pretty passionate about your project and wanting to improve the project. And maybe they even fall short, but at the end of the day, it's still more content for your players, more content that builds out your game and gives people even more reason to buy it. So in my opinion, mods are pretty much always a win-win scenario. So yeah, that's going to do it for Buff Debuff today. If you'd like to hear your own topics on Buff Debuff, all you have to do is go over to the community Discord. There's a link to that in the show notes. And go on to the Buff Debuff channel and, yeah, just type uh, up whatever topic you want to hear about. Anyways, with the first segment of the show out of the way, let's move on over to the second segment of the show. The second segment of bonus episodes is always a sort of keynote thought or keynote speech, I guess you could call it, done by a special guest. And today's special guest is the director of Mahler Games. Mahler Games is currently working on a visual novel called Once More. It's up now on Steam. Uh, If visual novels are your thing, you definitely should check this out. It's in early access right now. But uh, yeah, it's a side of game dev or a genre of game dev that I don't really know much about, but I do know is pretty popular. And in the speech today, you're going to hear that no matter what genre you're doing, um, there can be some hiccups along the way uh, with game dev. That's just kind of how it works. It's not easy, and it feels like there's going to be bumps in the road like (laughs) pretty much constantly. And yeah, it was really interesting hearing someone else's perspective on this and maybe even the lessons learned, like the value of good communication. So yeah, sit back and relax because we have a really interesting and insightful look into the world of developing visual novels and the problems that may come along with it. So without further ado, please welcome the director of Mahler Games. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm Avery from Mallet Games. We're working on our first project, which is a visual novel called Once More. I wanted to talk about how rewarding game dev can be, while at the same time sharing some struggles and setbacks that I've had during the development of Once More for Hello to to learn from. I started Once More on a whim during my freshman year of college. I basically started getting assets created and working on a script just to see if I could do it, and I'd make progress here and there. Uh, reaching out to all sorts of talents and, you know, to my surprise, people actually wanted to make something with me. And at at that point, I just had like an idea and no real plan, but, you know, things were getting done. And so once I built up a little confidence, I started uh, devoting more of my time into the project. And after a lot of learning and hard work and support, uh, we had a demo. And I took that and launched our Kickstarter in March 2020, right at the start of COVID. And let me tell you, that was an incredibly stressful one. There wasn't a day I didn't think about uh, marketing strategies and how to best provide value for our backers. I mean, like I, I had dreams about the Kickstarter during that month and I'd wake up and be like, oh man, I gotta, gotta keep on top of this. Um, and, you know, when our campaign was over, we had a little over 200% of our funding goal. 
and you know I'm so grateful to everyone who supported us and is still supporting us to this day you know all of my team's hard work really paid off by that point I was under the impression that you know everything is that is, is ready for us to put the ball rolling um, but you see up until that point I had only contributed time that I had to spare into the project but now I was responsible for delivering to everyone who funded us it was equally exciting and terrifying. I had this idea that we could finish the project in a year, but that wound up not exactly being the case. In fact, the current state of the project is that it's on Steam Early Access with about 25% of the story content ready after two years since our successful Kickstarter. That's a very different picture than having a completed product after a year, almost embarrassingly so. The project is still ongoing, but it's required a lot of readjusting and learning how to manage a product that's grown. Uh, you see, when you work with other people, you're on their schedule. It's not the other way around. I made the mistake of planning a release in a year based on what I thought was possible. And while I had some padding planned into that timeline in case there were delays or... I mean, really, just delays. Um, you know, there were still multiple areas for bottlenecks that came up during the development that I, you know, didn't know were possible or things that I had to worry about. You, you don't know what you don't know, and these these things pop up, and you really just have to put them on the spot. One of the most recent ones was a voice actress who had a very rough time. Now, I sent them a script back in December or January, and I only recently received those lines about last month. So that's about half a year's worth of uh, time. Now, there's definitely plenty of time to get it done by when I initially requested, which was about the end of January. But that was also around the time a new COVID variant hit us, and that personally impacted the talent. By the time things calmed down for that talent, you know, it was spring, and that's when I learned this voice actress suffered from seasonal allergies, which made it impossible for her to voice the range that she previously had for her character. So, I mean, like, what, what do you even do in that situation? I mean, really, you, you only have two real options. Either you wait or you find a replacement. And after discussing it with the voice talent, you know, like figuring out, hey, when do you think you'll be to come back? You know, like, what, what, what if we just try to push through, um, change some, uh, some of the direction we had in mind? I, you know, even eventually it came down to, um, I, I had to wait. And so that adds an extra three months to the couple that have passed since the initial planned uh, deadline. I made adjustments where I could, but ultimately I was on her schedule and she wasn't on mine. And, you know, that's just how it is sometimes. And, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, I adjusted some deadlines for other members, uh, particularly the writers as far as delays go. One had some health problems and another had college obligations I learned to work around. Unfortunately, those college obligations eventually took that writer of the project, so I had to replace them. At one point, two team members were no longer able to work together, 
So I had to figure that out in terms of who can they work with and how, uh, like, you gotta, like, if you're gonna replace someone and they have a specific skill set, then you have to find a replacement that's suitable and can match. And in this case, it was artists who weren't able to work together. And artists have their own individual styles and, you know, they can, they can have some really similar techniques, but it's, it's not easy to find an artist who's exactly the same as another artist. In fact, I think that's, that's impossible. So you can, you can only get close. I, I also had some personal obligations that forced me to readjust the schedule of the project. Uh, but since I'm the project lead, you know, shifts in my schedule affect everyone else. Now, I did have an asynchronous workflow set up to where everyone's tasks were happening at the same time, and I tried to decouple everybody's workflows as best as I could. Um, and like the least amount of dependent tasks were, um, you know, like there could be a delay in the music department, but that has no bearing on the art uh, team, for example. And, you know, I just want to take a break here to say that so far, I've listed negative setbacks, but everyone who's a part of this project has done an amazing job being available and getting things done on time. And, you know, I'm very grateful for them. You know, this project wouldn't be where it is without them. And as projects lead, you know, ultimately any failures and meeting these deadlines are a reflection of my ability to manage the team. And no member is to blame for my failing in that. Um, you know, some, some things can't be helped, uh, and, you know, other things can be helped, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you realize, oh, I, I should have done this a different way, and you, you have to, to learn from your mistakes and continually readjust how, how you do things if, if it's not working, and that can be difficult, especially if, you know, readjusting also takes time. Jump back on the topic of setbacks. Sometimes you'll have them for positive reasons as well. You know, for example, I made a decision last year to give every main character a song that plays during the credits. Uh, this, you know, like, this required a good chunk of time to have done. Um, you know, from getting with the composer, making the song, getting with the voice actress for the character, and getting her to sing, and aligning schedules, and you know, mixing the audio afterwards. I there there is the time requirement of the actual task itself, right? But I also had to spend time uh, exploring additional ways to fund this decision because the scope of the project was a lot different during our initial budget when we were on our Kickstarter, and so the project has grown as a result of that, and this is one of the ways that it's grown. And so responsibility for finding that additional funding fell on me, which also can take time. Um, in, in order to get those assets made, you know, I gotta, I gotta get the funding first. And so that's, that's more tasks that are dependent on me. And, you know, I've already, already got and uh, secured it already. So that's not a current issue. Um, but, you know, that, that was definitely like a, a good reason to delay the release that we had in mind. Um, in my opinion, the time bent making that happen offset the time lost um, in terms of 
releasing sooner. You know, when you do make decisions that affect the release, um, I, I would recommend finding some help um, in terms of, you know, if you're not going to be available for a task, perhaps you can find someone to do it for you. And that's that's originally what I planned. Um, and I, I, I did my best to make that happen, you know, but the one person I got to assist me in that moment um, eventually ghosted me um, without without doing anything. And, you know, I, I like to respect the dead, so I just let them be. And I found another person. And, you know, I know I don't have bad luck with finding team members because everyone has been amazing on the project. But these two people I found in place, you know, they, they both um, just no contacted me afterwards. So I said, okay, you, you know what, that's... I need I need to change how I how I'm adding these team members at the moment because it, whatever was working before, um, I either stopped doing or I'm I'm missing some key component in terms of finding new people, and I, I like to be sort of hands off and I don't want to micromanage anyone. Like this is ultimately a passion project, so I'm not looking to like be anyone's boss. Really, um, I like to check in with people. Uh, either once a week if there's no deadline or on the day that we both agreed on to you know have have things done and you know from there i'll wait about a week before reaching out to them again if i don't get a response and typically at, at this point you know i'll have gotten a response and we can figure out you know either like what the new deadline is if they missed it or i'll, I'll get the assets you know like a day or two late and that's that's totally okay um, like, I get it. You can't always get things done on time. Um, like, like things happen. Um, and when I don't get a response the second time, after I reached out a week from a deadline and I still haven't heard anything, you know, that's that's when I, I start to go, okay, like, they've got until the end of the month before I consider replacing. And so far, that hasn't been an issue. Um, but that's just something that I've, I've learned to have to do, especially after, you know, having, having to, they, I guess since they didn't do anything, they weren't team members, but like potential team members, um, just going silent. I've, I've had to readjust to, to protect the project from people like that. Missing, missing the first deadline, um, and then not saying anything, that's, that's a pretty clear sign to me to move on and find someone else to work with. Um, you know, if, if we've got an established relationship and, and you know, you, you miss a deadline or something like that, like, that's, that's totally fine. Like, uh, I mean, we, we as, long, as long as there's a plan to deliver, uh, that's that's what's most important. Because, I mean, I get it. You won't always have the time you think you will, but you have to communicate. I don't hound people constantly for updates because I know it's better to, you know, when you, you go to them and you say, hey, when do you think you can get this done? They tell you. You go, okay, cool, let's shoot for that. And then whatever day you decide, that's when you meet. Uh, your teammates are people with their own lives too. So really, you just want to work with people who respect uh, both your time and you really want to respect their time more than anything. I've seen it time and time again in the artist community. Um, people, people will ask for constant updates and it's like no no you you cannot do that like these people are not um supposed to 
be at your at your heels whenever you call upon them. And you know, if if that's what you need in a team member, you gotta you gotta discuss that kind of thing early on. Like, hey, I'm gonna need you to be like a doctor on call. And if if that's what you're asking for, you need to make sure that you know you're you're being paid for that. And you know, I would I would recommend to people who are artists, um, if you have a client and they're wanting that sort of like really really quick communication i personally i would either include that as part of your like package for being commissioned or i would adjust your delivery date for your commission um to include like time spent replying you know maybe when you start working on on whatever whatever the project is and know you're you're drawing a piece for someone whatever time you start that's your time to go respond boom um all of that eventually adds up to an extra day in terms of deliberating the commission i think i guess budgeting your time for communication is something to consider if you're noticing a pattern of clients requesting more communication i don't i don't really think anybody should be owed that kind of like instant uh, response, but I, I do feel like you know once every couple of days or just updates on the process is pretty important. Uh, some of the composers I work with, they'll send me samples of their song, and that's really awesome. It lets me know that they're working on it, and it gives me a really good idea of where things are going to go. Uh, you know, I've worked with people who don't send samples, and that, that's totally okay. Like I. I understand why um, showing in-progress work may not be ideal for everyone. The amount of effort you put into making that sample um, would be for nothing if um, you know someone someone listens to that and goes, "Okay, let's let's change everything." Um, revisions uh, can also be a, a very very big area where delays can come into a project and. I really think that as long as you're communicating, uh, these kinds of setbacks really will never become an issue in terms of like tension between team members. Uh, whether you're a client or you're the person working on things, I would I would really focus on being open and having that sort of dialogue with the people that you're working with because a, a delay by itself is a lot better when it's openly acknowledged as opposed to having a delay with no response, no no feedback. That's that's where people get anxious. And you know, our project has had pretty massive delay, um, and I have yet to get negative feedback about that. You know, and I think one key part of that is how open and transparent I've been in the process. Um, I, I really do my best for like when things are happening in the moment. Um, I don't I don't go to our backers and say like, hey, you know, our writer's sick, so we can't um, deliver this piece in time, which is going to delay the artist who needs to see like a description of the um, script. They need the artist needs to see the script so that way they can draw like a an artwork representing that scene and. That's just, I, I don't really say that to the backers. Instead, I just, you know, here's here's what's happened. Here's the new 
uh, date that we're gonna shoot for this, and depending on how how big of a um, of a delay it is, I usually try to add some sort of consideration to it. Um, for example, there there can be little little things you can do, like oh okay, so this this thing is gonna take some time to do, but I think it's worth it, right? You you go to someone and you, you say that, and then since that's happening and you already have that time allotted in your schedule you can then go and say while that's happening i've also decided to add in this feature or or this little scene here you know i've, I've just added a little bit extra than was originally planned because you know we we have time to do that because what was originally planned uh, is taking longer than we thought and i think i think just really showing that that sort of gratitude um towards people who are you know supporting you and excitedly waiting for your for your success is just a really really important uh, thing to do when when you're faced with delays and you know i don't i don't want this to be a heavy episode um, so I think it's, it's my duty to add that while setbacks can be negative, uh, they don't necessarily result in loss, you know, thanks to having delays. I've come to really admire the people who back to a project because ultimately they're the ones I go to every month or so to share progress and they've been so understanding and supportive and just, just knowing that there are people out there who care about your passion project just as much as you do and are willing to wait to see it through. And that's that's gotta be my favorite part of game dev. You know, I I never thought I'd be able to connect with people or touch them in that way. Um, it's just amazing. Like I I just <laughs> it's hard it's hard to put into words. Um, I if 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 I had to try, you know, it'd, it'd be like get, getting that feedback while it while it's developing really helps like motivate me to to see it through. And it helps me know that I'm, I'm moving in the right direction, and it, it's just awesome to 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 just to be a part of that. Really, um, I think I might be low on time, so we we, we can wrap things up here. Um, I, I hope I hope you got something out of my my rambling. Um, Thank you for having me, and you know if if you want to connect to talk about game dev or launching a Kickstarter or tips finding talent. Uh, you, you can reach me um, at Maller Games on Twitter, and our project is Once More, which you can find on Steam Rich. Thank you very much. And there you have it, a really interesting inside look into the struggles of another game dev. And it's always good to hear, um, maybe this sounds wrong, but it's it's good to hear that other people have struggles too. Sometimes... Uh, I feel like all of us as game devs have gotten to the point where it feels like, uh, I don't know, you, you just have setbacks and you're like, man, nothing can go right right now. But just know that that happens to everyone in it. And as you can see from the talk today, a setback is just kind of a temporary thing that can be solved and learned from and have positive outcomes at the end of the day. And in the moment, it might not feel like that, but in the end, it usually works out if you just keep uh, grinding it out. So yeah, anyways, if you want to follow along with Mahler Games, I'll leave their Twitter link in the show notes. Remember to check out Once More on Steam. 
If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore. If maybe you want to see setbacks happen in real time, I do do game dev on Twitch live. That's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Eastern. Uh, my Twitch page is twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. There should be another mainstream or mainline episode of the Game Dev Field Guide out this week. So I'm looking forward to that. And I guess with that, I'll end the show. I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide.